Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly, so if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode, and we'll see you there. Pick your favorite comic. Gaffigan, Hedberg, Attell, whatever. Sit down, listen to their jokes, write them down, break them out, study the craft. I mean, you, you don't, if you look at the words in a way that's more strategic than just hoping that you can come up with something that's funny, you get better at the process. Go, go to the library and get some books about comedy writing and stand up. You can order them online. Do some of the extra stuff. You don't have to just sit and alone in your apartment and write. You can you can do some of the cross training as well. And you could even go do the other extra cross training. Take an acting class, do an improv class, do a writing class. Hot breath. What's goody, Hot breath verse? Welcome back to Hot Breath, the show where you learn comedy from the pros. I'm your host, comedian Joel Byers. And our mission at Hot Breath is to cultivate the next generation of great comics. And today's guest is certainly helping us do that. Not only is he a hilarious stand-up, but he's also an amazing comedy writer. And we get into the nitty-gritty on comedy writing in this one, Hot Brother and Sistern. So get out a pen and paper, roll up your sleeves, put on your thinking caps, because we are going headfirst into the craft of comedy writing, captured like nowhere else but Hot Breath, just like you know and the over 400 interviews we've done with comics like Jeff Foxworthy and Cedric the Entertainer, now today's guest takes us into his process of several decades in this craft to help you level up your own comedy writing game. He jumped into our Hot Breath Pro Comedian Incubator to do a Q&A with members and help them level up a lot faster. So even as a comic, me being in this game over 11 years, I learned a lot, so I'm excited for you to do the same. And if you want to join me and other members of Hot Breath Pro to do these Q&As live, just go into the description of this episode and click Join Hot Breath Pro, and we'll see you over there. But now there's only one thing left to do, and that is inhale a hot breath with Kostaki Economopolis. So, Kostaki, I want to, first off, thank you for doing this. Yeah, of and course. this is so serendipitous for me because I've been doing comedy a little over 10 years now. And I remember I started my senior year of college. And I remember uh, being in college and watching comedy.tv, not to name drop too much here, but uh, I believe it was on after Comics Unleashed. I don't want to throw around too many big names right now. Yeah, yeah, but that's it was, right. The big credits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what happened was I was sitting there and it was so weird. I, I, I don't wear glasses, but I put on these 3d glasses. I was in college. Who knows what was going on, but I put on these 3d glasses and they introduced this next comic coming from Atlanta. And it was you. And I felt like I'm wearing glasses from Atlanta. There's a comic from Atlanta on TV doing what I want to do, wearing glasses. And that was really a, almost like one of those, affirming moments of like oh i really need to do this you know and oh, you were that guy cool. that's great i love that kind of stuff yeah we all have those kind of beats i'm thrilled that i was a teeny part of the of the journey for you that's cool to hear nice yeah. and uh do you yeah you've been doing it over 20 years i mean have you had moments like that along the way yeah of course i mean yeah. probably too many to even try to list them all but yeah you have all these there's all these beats where it feels accessible, you know, mm -hmm. where you go, oh, okay. And, or you talk to a guy after and you realize it's just a guy, you know, who's really good at what he does, but it's just a guy, you know, mm -hmm. there's sometimes something as simple as that reminds you of like, oh, this is, yeah, I, I'm, I'm in this little group. I could be this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you being from Atlanta and I do have such, um, like, I really represent Atlanta and like the comedy scene and there is a great comedy scene here. But when, when you started, I feel like were you more, I know you eventually moved to LA for several years and then to New York as well. But how long were you based out of Atlanta before you made that leap? 
Yeah, it was a good while. I was probably a really good middle or maybe mm-hmm. like a newbie headliner kind of when I moved away. Mm-hmm. And in the old days, this dates me, this is before your time, kid. Uh, <laughs> they The comedy clubs would run like Tuesday to Sunday, you know, oh they sometimes gosh. Monday to Saturday. They were very often six, seven nights. Um, and so in that era, I didn't have any wife or kids. I was in my 20s. I would get in my Mitsubishi Eclipse and drive to Wichita or whatever, and then do a week in Minneapolis and then do a week in Toledo. I would be gone for like three, four, five weeks at a time. Oh my gosh. And because you just went and you were on the whole weekend, maybe uh, in those days, most of those clubs, and of course I was newish, so I was definitely working clubs that had condos. Um, so I would just stay in the condo the extra night or go to the next condo the day early. Clubs were cool with that. And, you know, those that was a different era. But you would just go on the road and be working almost every night for five weeks or whatever it was. It's crazy. Yeah, you, you would be on the road like 45 weeks a year, wouldn't you? Yeah, in, that, in those days I did that, yeah. And then, you know, slowly the clubs trim down their weeks to be shorter and and then you know you could go you you pop in and out and you come home in between became more the norm shortly after that 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 was i was kind of came in at the tail end of sort of that 80s boom where comp clubs were open and they could sell a lot of tickets on a tuesday Mm -hmm. that those days are pretty much over uh but yeah and then there was a stretch when i did probably 40 weekends a year yeah 40 long weekends and now i go not now this year i do nothing yeah. uh but up and up through 2019 my pattern was typically to go every other long weekend so i would go like four-ish nights every fortnight it was kind of fell into that pattern do you have any tips for comics now and it is kind of an uncertain time of like oh all the all the live shows are gone this my career like or comics that are aspiring to get out on the road i mean what kind of tips do you have for that generation um i would say embrace the new the new media right Mm -hmm. in the old days if you did the tonight show you were famous the next day that's literally not an exaggeration right but you had to those days are over there's no such thing that does that anymore for a comic there's not a one thing that turns it all on for you the good news is you don't have to wait for the one gatekeeper to make your career now you could be the king of twitter you could have a video series you can do a podcast you can there's you know you can be the wacky neighbor on a show that you create yourself and put online you know you can build your own audience any way you can and so there's a small d democratic process to it now in the way it didn't used to be and i would suggest that you embrace that your home anyway uh, and internet usage is by americans has been up like 10 20 30 percent in the last few months so it's like it's kind of the natural choice you know for all of us to build the groundwork so that if and when we can get back out there and tell jokes live and then you've got a little bit of an audience that already knows they want to come see you that's that's the plan that's what i would suggest yeah and you are you seem to be very savvy with like the branding aspect of okay here's something that I'm starting to get known for. Let me almost build a brand around that. Kind of like you said, you could be the wacky neighbor and things like that. So I guess it's also looking for ways to stand out. Everyone is, there are so many people trying comedy, but it's also, I guess, how, how can you stand out doing something that you naturally enjoy doing? Yeah, it's, that's, I've had some, I've had some good luck and I've also worked hard at succeeding at that kind of thing. You know, like Mm -hmm. I, you know, I loved football. I loved NFL football. It was a guilty pleasure of mine to look at wide receiver stats and trash talk friends. And I slowly turned that into my job. I mean, I've become the football joke guy to Bob and Tom listeners and some other folks around the country. And so that's not been an accident. I did that on purpose because I loved it. And I thought, you know, you're never going to be great at something that you don't love anyway. Mm. So why not really dive in to do something that you love? 
and I've had some success at poker for the same reason and, you know, with the same sort of concept and, you know, the, the segment that I do on Bob and Tom sort of plays to my strengths, which has been sort of the core sort of media outlet that's worked for me personally. So I've just embraced that. I've never been particularly great at improv or acting or several of the other things that some comics are great at, but I am really good at hunkering down and writing and producing my own tiny little radio segment. And when, it, when the door cracked for that, I just worked really hard at it because I knew that was my strength. And so far it's, you know, it's carried me. It changed my life. Yeah. How did, how did you get that break? I was a comic on their show. Like lots of comics are, mm-hmm. and I had done this. Sh- I sort of eked in as a middle act working at crackers in Indianapolis and, And then, you know, they sort of had me once a year for a few years and I was fine. I didn't kill it or anything. But after that, I got a little more comfortable. I did a little better. They got to trust me. And then I ended up on the show quite a lot in a row. And I felt like I had done all my good jokes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't know what the hell to do on that thing the next time I'm in there. And I was a writer for the complete sheet at the time. I used to write topical jokes for a... uh, for the complete sheet, which is a radio prep service. A lot of people don't know this, like at five in the morning, all over the country, an email goes out to radio stations. If they, if they subscribe to the complete sheet, it's got lots of shit in there. It's like, this is what happens. Uh, these are the birthdays, this is celebrity news. This is what's going on. Country music news. There's what's going on. Black music news, blah, 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 blah. And they had a section of topical jokes. I used to write for that. So when I was out of my own jokes one day, I thought I'm going to do a segment on their show called topical sounding jokes. These are jokes that sound like they're from this week, but aren't. And it was just an excuse to do like my favorite 12 jokes that I wrote in the prior two years from Mm -hmm. that. And it just like the stars aligned and it just killed. And they got like a rim shot machine and they would go to an ad and come back and go, you got any more of those topical sounding jokes? And, and after the segment, uh, Tom goes, you think you could do this every week? And I said, yes, I can. And I definitely could not. <laughs> but I said yes. And then they were generous. And they let me kind of fumble around and figure out what the segment was. And it became a thing called the Monologue, which is basically just a writing exercise. Every week was a different subject. I would do phobias or weird sports traditions or you know one time i did dante's inferno i was like well there's nine circles of hell certainly i can write nine jokes Mm -hmm. uh and then eventually it morphed into an all nfl segment which was basically the same construct of just a comedian's point of view on one very small slice of the world and it worked i'm still doing it i'm calling him tomorrow and what is that hunkering down aspect of it? Because that's something comics, we romanticize writing a lot of the times and creating, starting is always the hardest part, it seems. How, how yeah. have you been able to establish such a disciplined writing routine? Like, how did it start? And then I guess it's ingrained in you now, but we all struggle with that consistently writing. What, how can you help us with that? Well, I, there's a little bit of a gift in my crazy system because it's specific if you if you're writing for like i used to fax in jokes i was a faxer for leno uh if you're writing for leno i mean this was before really the internet was a was a common i I would literally buy a usa today and try to write jokes there's it's limitless and so it's almost overwhelming and my particular thing is only nfl football jokes it's very specific Mm -hmm. and so there's something kind of freeing about that where, you know, you're not, I I don't, I'm not, I don't have to write about Trump getting coronavirus or what, you know, whatever the other stories are, that's not my job. My Mm -hmm. my job is this. So sometimes being super specific is a gift and you can kind of focus on that. Like if you're, let's say you're trying to write for your act and you have a one-liner that just you tried that's new and it killed. Well, now it's your job to turn that into 12 good jokes on that subject if you can i mean right we you probably can't go that far but you should try Mm -hmm. so i would say take the gift of specificity and sit down and you know 
you backed into almost by accident, maybe a great joke about whatever honey and a bear sit down and see if you can write about honey and a bear for that for a long time and see what happens. Yeah. We do a a daily writing exercise in this Facebook group called the right 10 club where we get a random word and then spend 10 minutes trying to write our best joke in 10 minutes. Oh, that's great. So like where let's just, I mean, I love that. What, uh, where would you start? I mean, today's word was ridiculous. Today's word was actually even, which sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. But um, like, where would you start if you were to get a random word? Where would you then, okay, I have this random word. Now what's like step one to start finding funny in it? Oh, that's a, wow. You tell me. You're doing this exercise. <laughs> I mean, I've, I think for me the answer is what are the first things you think of, gotcha, right? Yeah. And so for even, I would immediately go to, all right, uh, what are the odds in a football game? Are they evens? You know, is it, I'm keeping up with my brother. Am I even with them? I just write down everything that I can, the first thoughts, and then maybe go further with the specific thoughts for me personally, you know, right. Mm -hmm. And then what are, what does the culture think when they hear the word even? which is a different question than what I think, right? Mm-hmm. Hopefully you're finding crossover in there. And then go further and go further and go further. Part of the part of the art and the craft of it is to write all the easy jokes first and not, not stop, mm. right? Because yep. we all, we, I mean, eventually we, a lot of us would write the same first joke about whatever the word is, whatever the news story is. But don't stop there. Keep going. And there's nothing wrong with doing the first joke. Sometimes that's the best joke. But sometimes the best joke is way past that. And you got to get there. What What's your success rate with a joke? I mean, you're writing a new set every week, basically. You know, what? How many will you have to write to normally get to one worth keeping? It's a great question. See, you're already asking the questions that the general populace has no idea about. As comics, we know this, right? right? You know, Billy Crystal used to say, writing comedy is like panning for gold. You work all day and you get one little fleck, you know? (laughs) Uh, It's true. And when I tell whatever, you know, regular people uh, this kind of stuff, they don't, it doesn't even register that I'm, I literally will spend, you know, from 10.30 a.m. till midnight on a Sunday writing. No, it's not every minute, mm-hmm. but every minute I'm trying to write something. I'm floundering. I'm watching TV. I'm thinking about, I'm resetting. I'm rewriting. I'm, what are the big stories? Write those down. Flesh. It. So for me, Sunday is my big writing day as a football joke guy. And it's hard. And then Monday becomes the rewrite day. So I give myself the don't have to do that part yet. Don't have to edit. Don't have to trim it. Don't have to do any of that until the following day. Mm-hmm. So it's just brainstorm fest all day Sunday. And I'm tweeting and sometimes tweeting helps because the joke doesn't fit or you realize there's two, this word doesn't land here. When you put it into that form, you go, ah, this looks, it needs a little more of this or this is too much of that. It's all the craft and the process. It's a crazy it's a crazy game, but it's the same thing that we've always done. All of stand-up writing is the same thing of you write 50 jokes and there's two that you can't wait to say. And that hopefully there's 15 that are pretty good, but you know, usually there's fewer that are that good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Sometimes it's 50 and zero end up. <laughs> yeah. Right. Of course. Yeah. Of course. But don't, but you can't be discouraged by that. I mean, you can be, but don't, try not to be discouraged yeah. by that because that's not unusual. Is at least know that you're in the, you're in the presence of, uh, of the norm. You're, you know, you're doing what the greats are doing. You know, George Carlin wrote a lot of jokes, they weren't all good. Yeah. I think that's so important, especially for younger comics to hear. 
where they think, well, what's wrong with me? Why am I not writing a hilarious joke every time I sit down? But then hearing comics like you, 20 years in, one of the most prolific writers in the game, like it's law of numbers, basically. Yeah, some of it is. And of course, in doing it, even if you don't get the joke that minute, that hour, that day, you get better at doing it, and so you're more likely to do it well the next time. Mm-hmm. So give yourself the kudos of going through the process, uh, even if you wind up with no flex of gold at the end of that hour or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, it's okay. Finding no gold is exactly what gold mining is. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's yeah. Okay. And that's what they're, yeah, um, they're saying your mindset about, about writing is great and inspiring. Yeah. Oh, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, you just got to do it more than you think you have to. I mean, uh, comics, we, I mean, we know this intellectually. Most people don't think that about comedy. They don't realize how much work it is to do, to get one little couple of, couple of beats that are worth saying in front of an audience, you know, yeah. on purpose. It's really hard to do that. You know, but you don't. Sometimes it falls in your lap, but to be a professional comic, you got to do it more often than that, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. So sometimes the best jokes are just handed to you from the universe, but you can't just sit around and wait for that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't happen enough. I would love to dive into one of your jokes specifically. Uh, from your dry bar special, because this is something I want to start getting better at is here's something in my life that is, there's something funny there, but then how do I start to build a world around the funny thought? So for instance, yours with, um, your wife and people should go watch your dry bar special. It's hilarious. And, uh, it's about the, the unplugged toaster bit about how your wife unplugs her toaster. And there's a lot of things you do in there and you bring up it. She unplugs it because it's a fire hazard and you're like, I can't even burn toast. How am I going to burn a house down? And you bring up an example of wooden spoons being a bigger fire hazard and that the butter next to it is more dangerous. You bring in all these different angles around just a seemingly simple thought of my wife unplugs the toaster because she's worried it's a fire hazard. And then you're able to build this entire bit around it. Like how... How did how did you take it from that's weird my wife unplugs a toaster to then like here's a bit I'm doing on my special It's the same it, you know it, it's exactly the same model for me that mm-hmm. we just talked about I used to do this with Tom Simmons all the time we would take we would actually come I, it's crazy I'm in my mom's house today we would <laughs> literally come to this room not exaggerating like 28 years ago and fumble around as open micers and work on jokes in this room. What? And we would literally, okay, what, what do you got? And then I'd tell him a premise. And then the two of us would work on it for an hour. And whatever we wrote in that hour was mine. And then he would tell me a premise and we would work on whatever, you know, and then that was his. Even if the best line in mine he wrote, it was mine because it was my umbrella concept. Mm-hmm. And we were great that way. So sometimes writing with a partner is great because then you, you, you get a little bit of something and they add a little something and you can kind of get a role going and it's more fun and it's got life in it, which is why a lot, I think a lot of like comedy script writers are in pairs, you know, cause you're not just sitting, staring at a screen by yourself trying to write comedy. It's hard sometimes. Um, but yeah, it's the same process of, okay, I got this one little line that's worth saying on stage in front of people on purpose. Now what? Now I'm going to see if I can add to it because, I mean, who's better at that kind of thing than Jim Gaffigan or, you know, another one is is kind of been a hero and a, and a model for me is Jake Johansson. He used to do mm. Letterman sets and they were the same subject from beginning to end. It was amazing that he could do four and a half Letterman level jokes about whatever this, his trip to China with his wife. And it was one chunk 
it's worth so much more than you know 23 one-liners if you have 23 good lines about your trip to china with your wife now you're on letterman and it's a more interesting thing now it's got depth and it's got breadth and it's you're really exploring so i would i would do i would give the same advice of Mm -hmm. if you have a joke that you already are excited about go home and really knock yourself out on that subject for a while and see if you can build on a thing that already has an anchor that already is connected to the rock that you could build on as opposed to writing another one-liner about something random Unless you're a one-liner comic, and then there's nothing wrong with that. That's a style that's great, too. Mm-hmm. But for most of us, you you want to build a chunk of stuff about a thing, ideally. Yeah, exactly. And to, to start building it out, are you, like, asking questions of, like, well, she thinks it's a fire hazard. Then, well, what else is a fire hazard? And then you start to kind of brainstorm different things that may be a fire hazard, and you kind of just start asking questions. Yeah, right. It's brainstorming. Mm. It's allowing yourself to suck. Mm. You're not you're not on stage. You're not editing. You're not trying to be uh trimmed and tight and polished and good. You're just throwing it out there. And so you let yourself and you give yourself the freedom to just whatever your form is. You're writing on a legal yellow pad if you're type it into a word document whatever your thing is you can even record it into a device now and they'll spit it back i mean there's so many ways to do it whatever your thing is just fucking go and go far with it and see where it goes and then when you think you're done keep going and then go some more and then think about her perspective and then think about how ridiculous it is in the first place and then think about the parallels of of what that is and think about your counter argument and Think about other devices that might be dangerous. And if we have this same sort of concern, are we going to apply that to everything in the world? Are we unplugging stuff at the supermarket? You know, like yeah. go and keep going and go again. And then later you trim it and you winnow it. Because the hardest part is the initial creation. Cutting a bunch of stuff that has good in it down to just the good is so easy compared to creating the good part in the first place. Let yourself be open in the attempt to create the good without any restrictions. But editing, there is, we can hold our jokes too precious and think, but I'm so clever. I need this phrase in there. But if it's not serving the joke, like you almost have to be ruthless with your editing. Sure. Yeah. Right. And yeah. And well, that's, what's nice about being a comic is they help you do that. Because if you're saying a sentence every show that doesn't have resonance or doesn't need to be there, they will help you carve it out. Yes. <laughs> right? So yes. just listen to them. They're good. They, they're they not good on purpose, but the nature of what their role is in the process is good at helping you edit. Mm-hmm. And how mindful are you are you of word choice? Because my, my favorite phrase in that that toaster bit is when you say a toaster is a self-contained metal box on a stone slab. It's like I I don't know. It may have come out that way the first time, but it seems like like stone slab. It's just like a like a very visual way of saying those things. How mindful are you of word choice? Yeah, you're. That's part of the part of what you're working on is to is to paint the picture. It. Mm-hmm. It's on a stone slab is the opposite of what feels like a fire hazard, right? So that's very much on purpose to try to oh, yeah. paint that picture of you're making your argument. You're in this in this moment, I'm playing lawyer against my wife's concern, right? I'm like, it's on a stone. It's not even it's not like we're on a pile of leaves here, you know what I mean? You're making the argument in an exasperated, exaggerated way. So and and what else is nice about that joke is it's true. Mm. Especially in the modern comedy universe, true is worth so much more than just a good joke about Taco Bell. You know what I mean? Like you're of the generation where you kind of came up with that sort of around you. And that was a part of the ethic probably from the beginning. Mm-hmm. In my era, true was not as important. You know what I mean? It, it has a little bit more oomph 
because I'm genuinely exasperated by a real thing that's in my life. And so it's easier for me, who sucks at acting, to get into the moment of being exasperated about it on stage because it really does exasperate me. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it makes it easier to get worked up about something seemingly so silly. Right. And it's more likely to have resonance with somebody else because I didn't just make it up. Right. It's the kind of thing that's probably happening out there in the world, not necessarily about a toaster, but that construct of having these goofy arguments with your wife, that happens to everybody. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Well, yeah, well, that is, those are the the traits we're trying to work on here just in our daily writing club are we get a random word, but like some, I think one of them, one of the words may have been ball or something. And we're like, okay, no, like stupid, like balls jokes and things like, or like fish. People are like, all right, no smelly vagina jokes. Like we're really trying to work on not going for the obvious, not going for the low hanging fruit, but really challenging to insert ourselves into whatever we're talking about, make it personal and not just going for like the quick ha, you know? Right. Yeah, that's right. It's hard to do. It's hard. Yeah. But, but, but I would say, it's okay to write that joke. Just write it and keep going, and then don't pick it the next day when you're editing. Uh-huh. I you love don't have it. to. You don't have to nix the creative process at the beginning. You can get pickier about gradations and of of originality later when you're writing. Just go and figure it out later. You know. I love it. Yeah. Allow yourself to suck. I love that line. Right. Yeah, you suck when you're writing. Yep. <laughs> I mean, no, you can't. No one can sit. I mean, the best writer. I mean, I don't even know who the standard would be, but whatever. You know, take Robin Williams doing improv. Some of it sucks, right? Mm-hmm. It's fine. <laughs> well, one of um, the the gentleman who actually reached out to you to come on the show, his name's Bo Johnson. He's actually a teacher, but I think he snuck away. <laughs> To, to jump in and ask you a few questions, if you if you don't mind. Absolutely. Flattered. So, so uh, yeah, there's a lot of comics in here, newer, that are, like, balancing, you know, life and comedy. And um, he's definitely one who's in the writing club every day. He's, like, he'll be, like, I'm in a teacher's meeting, but I'm typing on my computer doing this. It's, like, it's funny to see just the sacrifices we make to pursue comedy. I love it. <laughs> so, even the sacrificing the next generation of students <laughs> out there <laughs> but um let's go ahead and bring him on here uh hot breath of verse welcome our very own bo johnson to the group here welcome bo how you doing buddy oh oh hey. a little bit of this okay how's it going buddy are you at school Good. again how you doing and you know what <laughs> He like whispered it. So Bo, thanks for uh, thanks for helping put this together, um, <laughs> as as well, and to make that serendipitous moment of like Kostaki was the comic I saw and was like I am going to do comedy. It's just so cool to connect. So um, Bo, what a what kind of question did you have for uh, Kostaki here? Let her rip, buddy. Um, well, you know, actually, I I'm kind of what's like sad was in the same boat, but I've I started listening to Kostaki through Bob and Tom. Um, for anybody that doesn't know, Bob and Tom is probably like the most legendary radio show that have helped comics for what thirty something, forty something years now. Yeah. Um, legendary morning show. It's kind of funny. Uh, you started off with just asking all the questions I already had, um, oh. but I mean, we can get deeper. Um, so when you're working on stuff and you're trying them out on stage, how long do you normally give a bit before you say, you know what, this isn't going to work. Let's kind of scrap it to the side yeah good question i don't know i mean there's some things that you love and you hold on to longer than you should probably right (laughs) and and of course there's some things that you're like nah that didn't work goodbye you know maybe you should have tried a little harder at it that's a delicate dance i i don't know i feel like i've i feel like i've gotten to a place now where i don't tell them anything that i don't want to say you know what i mean like i'm not just saying a line because i think it's funny to them i'm saying it because i want to say it to them mm-hmm. and so now since i'm not presenting them anything that i wouldn't like to say i let them tell me what to say again <laughs> you know what i mean like i'm okay with them 
doing a big chunk of the editing for me. Like, oh, this concept is funny to me, but doesn't have resonance with the broad universe the way I hoped that it would. Okay, I'll move on to another thing. I'm, I'm okay with listening to them. It doesn't mean that you couldn't theoretically fix it and tweak it and work on it and pound it into a thing that works anyway. But I'd like to start with something that has resonance with them, you know, before I'm building a big chunk. You know what I mean? Is there a bit in particular that you were just so stubborn with that you're like, I'm going to make this work? Oh, man, I'm sure I've, I probably have a hundred of those. I'm trying to think of a good example off the top of my head. Well, Tom and I had this thing one time we, we wrote where we, uh, uh, God, what was the, how did I say that line? It was a uh, thing about the spoon. And, oh, trying to recreate it now. I mean, it never worked, which is why I can't remember it because I never <laughs> did it long enough to keep it in my head. It was something about, uh, uh, I think I'm, I think I'm getting stronger uh i was eating some ice cream and i bent a spoon something like that i had this whole thing and tom and i thought it was going to be on a t-shirt it was going to be like the catchphrase of a generation of comics it just fucking nothing just people (laughs) stared at me i used to do a thing uh another one that tom and i kind of played around with he still brings it up once in a while to torture me uh when i was a kid we didn't have a dog or a cat we we I, i just had a pet peeve it wasn't much fun to play with. It was actually pretty aggravating. You know, again, we thought that's the funniest thing we've ever known. It just, it's just it smells like a pun and just never works. And it's, you know, I, there's always stuff like that. And then you, you guys know how it goes. You Sometimes the thing you barely type in proves that it's like, it has tons of resonance. And then other things that are like your little babies and, this is covered very well in uh, Seinfeld's uh, movie about stand-up. Like that, you know, he he describes it as like this little bird, and you nurture it, and you and it just like you push it out of the nest, and it just like falls straight. It's so true. Mm-hmm. And other things like you just think there's no chance. It just it just proves to be flying from the very beginning. So it's okay to I think it's okay to lean on the audience to help you know what the difference is. Hopefully, you're knocking around with some friends or something before you take it to there, but. I, th- I think letting the audience help you edit is great. And, and some comics now, they skip the sit down and write part. Somebody like Bill Burr is just meandering around on stage with a premise and he's doing it with them. They're, they're helping him write the joke. I mean, that's a, that's an overstatement, but you know what I mean? There's, mm-hmm. he doesn't have as much of the old school sit down and write it, memorize it, tell it, edit it. He's kind of doing some of that mishmash process on the stage. And so that, that checks a couple boxes. One, it keeps you honest. It keeps the fat out of it and it helps you to say it in a way that's the way that you would say it instead of the way that you would write it, which is something my wife's now dabbling around with stand-up and that's something that we talk about all the time because she'll write something and then i'm like that's not how you would say that you're you're part of what you're doing on stage as a comic unless you're doing a weirdo character is to be conversational and to be yourself and if you're saying it in a way that's sounds like you're reading it that you got to go back and redo that in fact put it down and tell me what you're trying to say And that probably is a better way to do it than you trying to memorize it and say it from the page. It's a long meandering answer. No, that was great. You didn't mention prop comedy once, so I think we're good. (laughs) (laughs) My my first thing was prop comedy. Did you know that about me? I didn't know. Yeah, at the Search Dorito Comedy Festival, yeah. Look at you doing all your homework. That's crazy. How do you do? How did you find that? I, you know, we the hot breath of You know, we we find our ways. Yeah, I'm very impressed. I wish I had a tape of that. My first bit was uh, uh to the list to the people who are watching who may not have done all their research. Uh, what's his name? Oh man, what's his name? Um, Sniglets. What's the Sniglets guy's name? Oh, that's going way back. Look at your young uh, face. <laughs> Bo may know. Have you heard? Bo has gray in his beard. He remember Sniglets? No, 
It was, was like made up words and he had definitions. It was like this catchy thing for a while. Anyway, that comic was doing a piece of, with uh, detergent boxes and he would go, uh, you, you can have it all, but you got to take some whisk. And it was like this, you know, it was that. But he did it so well. And so I thought, well, that's great, but there's it's so much more fertile if you did it with cereal boxes. And so my first piece ever on stage was borrowing heavily on another comics premise. And I wrote a story with cereal box punchlines. And I went to the store and I bought like 30 boxes of cereal. And I had this whole like that was my first bit. It was fairly well written in retrospect for a first time comic, but it was uh, pretty cheesy and uh, and very busy. But you won. <laughs> I. First, the first time I ever did comedy, I didn't place, but I did oh. well enough that it encouraged me. And then the second time, I actually I won a thing. Yeah, I won like the whatever the variety side of a talent show or something. Gotcha. With that. Oh, and they're saying Rich Hall. Rich Hall, of course. Rich Hall. Yeah, sorry, Rich. Sorry, Rich. Disrespectful. No worries. <laughs> and Tom Shelton said Robert Smigel or Smeagol. Uh, but I think it was Rich Hall. Was Michelle yeah, said. it's Rich Hall. Yeah, Smigel. I met. I I got a quick Smigel story. I'll, I'll keep it short. Yeah, I was I was standing next to him at a benefit thing, and uh, I said, "This is a really nice event." It was just the two of us. Kind of people had kind of wandered, and I was just standing there chatting with him. I go, "This is a really nice event." And there was a long pause, and I go, "For me to poop on," <laughs> and then I go, "Oh God, I'm so sorry." You must get that all the time. Uh, and he goes, no, actually, nobody knows who I am. He's got the weirdest kind of fame. So he loved it because he doesn't get that all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, for those of you who don't know, he does the character Triumph the Insult Comic Dog, whose tagline was, for me to prove. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Michael does have the perfect kind of fame. He's very successful and beloved by comics and comedy writers, but kind of unknown in the world that's pretty good fame yeah <laughs> sorry bo I, I jumped in there uh i'm sorry i didn't mean to oh, derail you there buddy ahead. no it's that was show i just wanted to bring up the the prop comedy i just <laughs> that's all i wanted to do that's more than hey i didn't even know that part of it so um yeah i mean i i knew i knew kostaki had worked for leno at one point how how long did you work for leno it was relatively short and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't at a Leno employee. I was in this pile of guys they used to call faxers because it was a name from back when you did fax it. I was emailing them at the time, but they, they named this group of characters faxers, guys who would write 10 jokes and email them in. And, you know, once in a while he would do one and send you $75, uh, which, you know, I sold several. I got several jokes on The Tonight Show, which was very thrilling emotionally to – you know, to be you know, whatever. I, I remember one night I was, I did a show. I was headlining. I was a new headliner, but I was talking to like whatever, 23 people in Nebraska. And then after the show, I run out to the bar and I watched the monologue uh, in the bar and he did one of my jokes to 4 million. You know what I mean? Right. And it, you know, you can't, you can't spend that much time on something that makes you 75 bucks once in a while. Because it's you have to really sit and really write, but to be a part of the process and to learn from doing it and get some discipline and get better at joke writing, and get seventy five dollars and get that joy, it was worth it for a while to do. I, I it was it was a great thing to have done for sure. Got anything else, Bo? Oh no, I was going to see is there any questions from everybody watching and listening? Oh. Oh, and uh, Greg Brown said, it's like when Joel reads my jokes in uh, The Right Ten Club. Yes, that's exactly what it's like. Me reading your joke on The Right Ten Club is just like Jay Leno reading your joke. I'm glad y'all know that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that's so great. <laughs> oh, that's like how Joel does it at 10 a.m. Yeah, it is. Just like it. <laughs> I'll take it. Hey, I'll take it. <laughs> oh, and um, Greg Brown actually asked, what's the worst advice you've ever received? 
<laughs> so he's on a roll. <laughs> What's the worst advice? Oh God, there's so many. I get. I mean, the advice I get is a lot is change your name for show business, which has always been weird to me because, again, there's different styles of comedy, and if you're doing a character or something, I, I do not. I do not mean to disparage that, but for most of us. One of the goals is to be yourself on stage and to reveal your own thoughts and feelings in a way that's organic and authentic. And it seems weird to start that with a fake name, you know? Uh, so I've always resisted that. I think that's bad advice, but who knows? Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe I, maybe I, missed, uh, I missed a bigger uh, name, you know? I missed a bigger marquee because I refused to change my name. <laughs> But you do have a big name, though. You get the biggest name in comedy. Hey. Biggest name in comedy. Biggest I wrote that comedy. joke at the Atlanta Punchline oh, in my snap. open mic days. Uh, that was one of my opening lines. It was like, I called the club and asked them if I could do a set. And they said, well, you got to have a big name to play here. Huh? Loophole. That was, <laughs> that was an early joke I did. <laughs> <laughs> That's the that's the original punchline. That's like the old with the wooden right. panels and the writing in the green room and all that. Yeah, those those crazy ladders and Yeah, the ladders. Yeah. That club, man. That club was one of the greats. I love that I agree. place. And that place had the real soul of stand up baked into it cuz it had everybody and every Tim Allen and Eddie Murphy and all the Jake Johansons and Brian Regans and you know, Lewis Blacks, everybody came through that place. I worked there with Geraldo and Anthony Clark and Larry Miller. And I saw Brian Regan there and, you know, all those guys. I mean, that place just, Dom Irera was always there. I mean, they just had such good taste and they were just killing it for years. That place was great. I know. Yeah. Have you been to the new that's in the side of a diner? Have you been? Yeah, I did it once last year. I loved it. I I didn't love it quite as much as the other one, but it's still, it's, it's got some heart. They brought some of the parts of it literally to the stage, which I thought was a nice touch. Yeah, that was nice. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. And it is, it's wide, like the original room at the comedy store. You can kind of get that vibe where it's more of a wide room. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's kind of shallow. That's right. It, yeah. It, straight up. It's pretty narrow. It, but there's lots of this. Right. That's right. But the original. Yeah. The, the original punchline forever. Uh, oh, this is cool. Tom Shelton asking winner winner when you're writing a joke. How do you know when it's done? I don't know if a joke's ever done. I mean, I think in the modern universe, when you put it on your album, you kind of you kind of do this with it finally and you kind of move on. But you know, sometimes you listen to uh, some of the old guys, you you know their joke a certain way, and then you see it, and it's newer, and it's got another angle, and it's better. Or Sometimes you can put a joke away for 10 years, and then you come back, and you now you're better, and you find a way to take it down a different road that maybe you didn't have that gear before, or maybe you just lucked into a nice writing stream one day, and now you have, it's got new life. I, I think a joke actually could, is never really done. I mean, it potentially, um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess the answer for a, for a typical modern comic is when it's on the album, then you're mm-hmm. like, Oh, that's its final, that's its final incarnation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not necessarily. I mean, you could certainly grow it from there. I mean, even Carlin had, he did a line in one special, um, have you noticed that uh, most of the people who are against abortion are people you wouldn't want to fuck in the first place. You know, mm-hmm. like that line appeared in more than one special and he took it a different direction in a different one. So it, I, I think it, you never know. It could come back. You could grow it into something different even after you think it's done. Awesome. And this is uh, Sean Pischke. As a new comic, what would you recommend for learning how to write jokes? Is there a style or format learned through education or just transferring thoughts organically from mind to paper? Um, yeah, you can, I mean, certainly sit and study and, and, and try is number one. But you could do all the other things too. Like go, you know, take, pick your favorite comic. Gaffigan, Hedberg, Attell, whatever. Sit down, listen to their jokes, write them down, break them out, study the craft. I mean, you, you don't, you know, if you, if you look at the words in a way that's 
more strategic than just hoping that you can come up with something that's funny. You get better at the process. If you, if you read their words and you break down their words and you watch what they're doing and you listen to comedy a lot and you watch Netflix specials and whatever your path is to connecting with good standups, get that sort of essence into your head and into your soul. And it will help you to, you'll sort of by osmosis get some of that structure and some of the angles and some of the concepts and some of the structure. And then if you go further and study it, you know, you can literally go to the library and get some books about comedy writing and stand-up. You can order them online. Do some of the extra stuff. You don't have to just sit and alone in your apartment and write. You can you can do some of the cross-training as well. And you could even go do the other extra cross-training. Take an acting class, do an improv class, do a writing class, do, um, you know, when I was in LA once I just like built a quarter for myself where I did all these things like as like a student for the hell of it. And it was great for me. I literally did a screenwriting class and a sitcom writing class. And I did a sketch writing class and I did a acting class. I did an improv class and I was not particularly great at any of those things, but I think those things made me a little bit better at being a comic. So it's worth exploring the other things that are tangential to stand up too. Yeah, and Sean is saying he finds uh, when he's writing his jokes, it's just too wordy and long. Yeah, that's that's a standard problem that we all have. That's fine. It, I would I would go back to the original advice of don't worry about that today. Let today let just work on writing, and then tomorrow come back and go. Ah, this is too this is too fucking long. You could do that at a different time, and you can trim it down. And you know, Twitter is actually a great first editor because if something's long on twitter it doesn't really sing and twitter will help you kind of go yeah you probably didn't need this phrase or this word or this two mm -hmm. words or this seven words sometimes just the act of typing it and transferring it and rewriting it makes you go oh yeah really the essence of this joke is this one through line and this other fact about it being today is not relevant cut that out this other setup line that might be relevant isn't you know this week my wife had a joke she was running by me and she said before the pandemic and blah 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 i'm like the pandemic takes you down a different road that's not useful for focusing on the premise of this joke just get rid of that phrase so you can go in and do that later, but just let yourself not worry about that in the brainstorming process. Beautiful. And let's get uh, let's get two more here. We have uh, Manas, who's actually uh, in India. She's one of our comics out in India. Nice. Uh, she she asks, is there a good way to make jokes travel well in appealing to audiences across cities, countries, etc.? You know what? That's one of the hardest things. When I did some sets in Scotland, I was terrified because your touchstones aren't there. The jokes that you know will kill, that you kind of save that when you need them, you know, that kind of stuff, they're not necessarily as solid because the comedy is all about culture and it's the mm. same language, but it's still a different culture. And I'm sure that's true. If I was going to go to India and try to tell some jokes there, you know, I, I did, I told some jokes in Australia and New Zealand and it's terrifying because they don't have any problem with their accent, but they do live in a different world. And so some of the things don't translate. The natural obvious ones are they don't care about American football. They don't know about our fast food restaurants. They, our politics are different. So there are some things that you kind of know off the top of your head, like, oh, I can't really do that. Uh, but you'll be surprised maybe how much of the other things also don't travel as well. Um, so I would suggest try to write universal themes, you know, something that's about, you know, a weird bit of tension with your wife about a toaster has more, has a better shot of traveling universally than obviously to take the extreme dumb example, a joke about how the Falcons suck, you know, they right. don't know the Falcons suck. And so just think through some of that stuff when you're, when you're doing it. And like anything, it's a matter of doing it. You kind of do it and then you go, oh, like when I was in Scotland, by the end of the month, I was like, oh, I could do well here because you're doing it. It's almost like 
I said this somewhere else and it's true. I remember going down to Uptown, which was the black club when I was. Oh, I've, here I've in, been there here several times. Yep. That's 20 minutes from where I grew up. And it was more different in terms of cultural expectation than doing a set in Australia on the other side of the earth. So sometimes it's just a matter of a cultural situation being specific that you have to go and learn. So it's like running the 100 meters and the 400 meters. They're both running, but it's very hard to be good at both. You have to train to do both. You can't just be good at one and the other one works too. If you want to be funny in front of a black comedy room, that's a different muscle. And that's true of Scotland and India and South Africa. It's still English, but the culture that you're in is so different that mm -hmm. you've got to you got to work that muscle to be good at it. Even like going from, let's say, a comedy club like the Punchline to some hipster bar where people are just drinking sure. PBR and smoking cigarettes, like all those can play into finding that universal language. Yeah, that's right. So, th mm -hmm. so that's exactly right, and that's part of the craft of what it is to be a real comic. Is mm -hmm. now I'm at a college, now I'm at a corporate gig, now I'm at the midnight show, now I'm at a nooner, you know, now I'm on a cruise ship. Now, you know, though all of those things are a different culture that you find yourself in, and so hopefully you have written and developed a thing that's broad enough to appeal to parts here and there but also you got to do them enough and build your own things that work in only that space if you want to be really great at them too yes and uh the final one here from pj asking do you free write and organically have jokes come from that or do you feel like you build jokes from scratch with intent like I, yeah i think it's like what kind of techniques do you use do you use mind maps are you free writing Venn diagrams? Do you have any kind of go-to? That's interesting. I don't typically do that. I Most of my writing is now sort of on that structure that we sort of talked about earlier of finding one little piece that has resonance and then building around that. I, for me, I find that to be the best path, but there's mm -hmm. no right way to do this. I mean, whatever you, whatever you, whatever works for you. I, I find that if I have a beat with my wife where I'm like, because you're, you're as a comic, you're kind of filtering. Part of what you're doing is listening to your own ideas and your space in the world and pulling from the thousands of things that happen and thoughts in a week. Oh, these are the two that I think I should think more about for this purpose. So part of it is that. And then once you have those two, then you sit down with those two and do some work. That's how I do it. I mean, again, there's a thousand ways, but that's my path. Beautiful. Bo, did you did you have anything else, my friend? No. No? I'm actually just taking it in. <laughs> awesome. At this point. Yeah, like I said, he answered like right off the bat. All the questions I had, he had already answered them. So it was like, well, scratch that, scratch that, scratch that. So. <laughs> Great. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, any, any closing advice here, Kostaki? Anything you've learned some of your favorite advice has been or just what we're doing here at Hot Breath is creating the next generation of great comics. So what kind of advice do you have for us to help us make that a reality? Oh, that's great. What a great question. Um, I don't know. There's so many things they asked. Uh, sometimes, sometimes advice is practical. They asked George Burns uh, what, what his advice was for any new, somebody new at comedy he said, always take your wallet on stage with you. <laughs> That makes me laugh that that's what he thought of. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not the one who came up with this, and I couldn't even tell you. Who, I've probably gotten this advice from more than one person, so it wouldn't even be from one. But this idea, I think, is important. Take all of that uh, energy that is natural in your head of, like, that's the guy who got the Netflix special? How come I didn't get the thing with the uh, – all of that is noise and you can't control all that, any of that anyway. Take that energy and divert it into being good at what you do mm -hmm. and the chips will fall where they fall. You're, you can control the I am working harder than the next guy at, at being good. That's the part that you can control. The rest of it's crazy and sometimes you just can't believe how it's not a meritocracy. But whatever, that'll drive you crazy. Stop that. 
just be just be good. Just work on the process and enjoy it. It's fun. It, Tim Wilson said to me once when I was a little kid and asking him about comedy, he goes, what, uh, what's your advice to comics who are new? He said, well, you better enjoy that drive to Chattanooga because that's what comedy is. <laughs> and I, and that's, that's, been, that's been great advice. I have, great enjoyed, advice. <laughs> I have enjoyed more of the drives to Chattanooga than I used to because I think of Tim saying that to me. Like, Part of the gift of being a comic is this wackadoo weird little life you have and so enjoy that it's it's a it's a it's awesome i i do enjoy those moments and now that i don't have them i enjoy them even more you know i miss them even more i appreciate them even more i i love that go out sort of cowboy thing about they gotta get these jokes to oklahoma you know like mm-hmm. i i love all that and the walking through an airport and listening to a podcast and thinking about the show and the after the show and the waitresses are cleaning up the stuff and you thinking about having, you know, been alive in the moment, done a good job. Like all the trappings of comedy are, they're pretty great. So enjoy them and just focus on the part you can control and you'll be fine. Yeah. My last gig before pandemic was in March and it was a, it was a comedy zone gig to Wilmington, six hour drive. I realized about halfway through I'm going to be late. So for three hours, I have to drive <laughs> knowing I'm going to be late regardless of whether or not I stop. And I just got there 15 minutes late, went right on stage, and it went well, but it was like, wow, yeah, this is part of that, those learning bumps of like, leave extra early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But all that stuff, that's part of the adventure of it. There's yeah. always going to be those things where, you know, and the the headliner gives you a speech about don't say this, don't say that, and, yep. you know, you whatever you you have a beer before and you tell the same joke twice and you're like oh, i probably shouldn't do that again you know all that stuff you you gotta learn and do and it's great yeah i love it beautiful well please um promote i know you have a lot going on as well and bo thanks for putting this together man thanks for making this happen hey no problem yeah thanks for the invite bo it means a lot hey, man. thanks I appreciate it. thanks for coming along um speaking today and so <laughs> The thanks comes that thanks goes to Kostaki. I mean, yeah. For me, it was just like listening to Bob and Tom going, you know what? We should get Kostaki on there because, <laughs> I mean, as long as he's been doing this, I know he had great advice. So, I mean, if anything, thank Bob and Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, right, Kostaki. Yeah. I, as much as I miss Bob, but yeah, thank them both. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. Well, then I'll I'll use that segue to get to the plugs then. Yeah. Uh, I'll be on Bob and Tom every Tuesday morning about 820 Eastern. Uh, wrapping up the weekend that was in the NFL, including tomorrow morning. These Cowboys jokes don't tell themselves, everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do a thing called Quick Snaps, which is a podcast version of some of those jokes and some football talk. That's anywhere you get podcasts, Quick Snaps. We're doing that. We tape it live on Facebook Live on Monday nights, right before the Monday night game. Today we did super early because there's two Monday night games. Um, but normally it's at 7.30 on uh, Facebook Live. And then at, on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern on Facebook Live, I'm doing a little one-on-one interview show called 50 Toasts. It's just an excuse for me to talk to a friend once a week. And uh, this week I've got uh, – I've got Donnie Baker. I've got Ron Sexton, who's the who's the brains and voice oh, behind snap. Donnie Baker, and several of the other characters. He's a really interesting dude. He thinks of a joke, decides who to call it in as, and then that's fascinating. He he's got an interesting process. So I'm going to have him flesh some of that out for us on Wednesday, and then the next week I've got Josh Arnold, who's one of the who's sort of replaced Bob. I mean, you don't replace Bob, but. He's the fourth voice on that show now, and he's great. And he's a stand-up and uh, thoughtful menchie. You should get Josh Arnold. He's a uh, he's he's gettable and he's great. We were just Bo, I think, just emailed Donnie like a few days yeah. ago about coming on the show. Yeah, that was great timing. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, yeah. actually, I've I've also emailed Tom just to, just to see if I could possibly get him on. Um, you know, just for shits and giggles see if it's possible because i mean for as long as they've been helping out comics a lot of people that like joel has um even interviewed like miss pat and so many people oh, and yeah. i know they've made their way through bob and tom and you know they've kind of helped them get a little push um you know some of tom's perspectives i think would be an awesome thing 
to help. Co- Tom's um, great. Commentate. He knows everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I, 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 I did reach out to, um, to Donnie Baker. Um, yeah, I'll even on, I'll, I'll try for Josh Arnold as well. I mean, <laughs> I know I, I've actually seen some of his standup in the, yeah. So he, Josh he, is great. Good. I, and I know he can't, he can't live down the Toledo incident, but that's um, funny. It just became a running <laughs> gag. I'm sure he did fine. That room's hard, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's easy to not have a good show in Toledo. I can, I can speak for that. <laughs> I can speak for that myself. It's not even about Toledo. It's about the way that room is built. There's mm. something. There's something that's not magical about that room mm. for some reason. <laughs> well, the the final thing we always ask here, Kostaki, would you mind looking into the camera and Telling them who you are and why they should listen to Hot Breath. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, what's it's Hot Breath? It's nothing, nothing fancy about Just that. Hot Breath Podcast. That's us. Okay, I can do that. No pressure. Sometimes when I do these radio, you know, liners, it's like it's one hundred four point seven, not one hundred four. Okay, yep. Jesus. Uh, hey everybody, Kostaki Economopoulos here, the biggest name in comedy, and you should listen to Hot Breath, the podcast with the comics and the thing and the learning and the mulling and the discussing of the process. That's yeah. not a very good cut line, but... There you go, Hot Brethren and Sistren. You have some homework to do now. Take these tips you've learned today and apply them this week. Be intentional about getting the work done this week. If you want some more accountability and to get feedback on what you're writing, Hot Breath Pro is our chameleon incubator designed to help you level up faster with these Q&As like you hear today and much more. So go into the description of this episode and click Join Hot Breath Pro, and I hope to see you there. But now, you've got work to do, Hot Brethren and Sistren. So we'll see you next Monday right here on Hot Breath. Hot Breath. This episode of Hot Breath is sponsored by our Patreon. If any of our content has helped your comedy career, join our Patreon linked in the show notes and get positive comedy karma for life. Probably.